Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. I want to talk this morning on developing emotional resilience. And I actually did a similar talk to this 10 years ago at Christchurch London. I don't expect any of you to remember. Uh, But as I thought about this sermon, I turned to my notes from the previous sermon. And here's what I decided as I read it through. I realized there were illustrations in that talk that that felt inappropriate to use at this point in time. They simply felt too emotionally triggering. And it made me reflect on how less, how much less resilient we are now than we were 10 years ago. How much our emotions feel right at the surface. And so it seemed to me a particularly important talk at this point in time as so many of us feel so fragile when it comes to our emotional health to reflect on what the Bible has to say about dealing with loss and developing emotional resilience. And I want to take my thoughts this morning, or the Bible's thoughts, uh, from from a story of King David. And you'll find it in 2 Samuel 15 to 18. We're not going to read that today, but if you want to look at the background, it's there. David is betrayed by his son Absalom. Here's the story. Their relationship has been awkward for a long time, but Absalom then decides to dethrone or attempt to dethrone his father. The first move is charm offensive. Absalom sits outside the city gate early every morning as people make their way to see the king to present to him their requests from their own sense of injustice. Absalom stops everyone. He listens to their case. He tells them, that every one of their cases is just, that it needs a resolution in their favor. And he finishes with these words, if only I were king. If only there were an easy process for you even seeing the king today. Of course, in a different life or a different world, we could change all of that, couldn't we? And over a period of time, he stole the hearts of the people. Having gathered an army and marching on Jerusalem, David, who's been preoccupied with other affairs of state, only becomes aware of what is happening as the army are on their way to Jerusalem. David gathers up his household, they leave, and the coup is over before it has even started. I wonder how, as a father, David felt at that point in time. Angry, betrayed, stolen from, hey, lost at this point in time, of course, his position, his relationship, countless other things as well, but this was only the start. Absalom, having gained power, was determined to send a message to his men that there was no chance of reconciliation. They had decided which side they were on, and this now they needed to stick with. Here's how he did it. He put a tent on the palace roof in front where everyone from Jerusalem could see what was happening. And he took one by one his father's concubines and he took them into the tent and he slept with them. 
humiliating, inexplicable, nasty, humiliating actions. Now when we read Psalm 6, I think it will sound entirely different from how it would have left, how it would have sounded five minutes ago. This is David's response, having suffered in these ways at Absalom's hands. Let me just say one more thing, I'm sorry, just one more thing before we get to that. You and I will also experience loss from time to time. Life does not just give us things. It also takes things away. Some things are clearly a big deal, like the story that I've just told you. Many of us will be able to think of big deal things. But this sermon and the lessons that this psalm has do not just apply to the big deals. They apply to the things where you go, it's really silly to be feeling this way about this thing. And I want to suggest that actually, it's our, our feeling should actually be a guide to what's silly or not. In other words, if you're feeling it, it's legitimate. And if you're feeling it, the first thing you need to do is start to listen to your feelings. And sometimes uh, grief or a sense of loss can simply be your friends who you were at university with or started London life with are doing better than you are. At least that's how it feels. Someone else got the corner office and I'm still in a booth or a cubbyhole or countless other things as well. If your emotions are telling you that it matters, I want to suggest that you should honor the way that God has made you and wired you and listen to how you're feeling. Here's what David did, wrote in response to Absalom's betrayal of him. He said, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. If you've ever had a sleepless night over grief and loss, it does not mean you're ungodly. Even King David, the one in the New Testament described as a man after God's own heart, experienced that. He goes on, My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all who, you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. My enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. What does this psalm have to teach us when handling loss in such a way that we will develop emotional resilience? Well, it seems to me that the first thing that happens here is David is honest and acknowledges his loss. This is one of the most intense, emotional, and full of pain psalms that you will find in the 150 that are in the uh, Old Testament. And actually, that's where we should all start. You acknowledge your loss. Who, when, some, when, when they've experienced something uh, unexpected, 
say, I can't believe this is happening to me. How many of us have ever said that? Well, we say that because literally our brain is having trouble getting used to the new reality. And the best way of helping our bodies do that is by telling the truth. You will never go wrong by telling yourself the truth. You will never go wrong by telling yourself the truth. It's then what you do with the truth that becomes important. One father who lost his son, his adult son, said that for the first month having lost him, he expected him to come through the back door every day. Now, it wasn't that he didn't know his son had passed away. In this case, he'd seen his son's body. He knew that he was gone. It can be tempting to keep ourselves in denial and thus avoid the pain which comes with it. But the reality actually is that it's only by facing pain that we can find healing. Let me give you uh, a very simple example. Solomon, of course, in Ecclesiastes, he says, a sad face is good for the heart. A sad face is good for the heart. Being sad is not necessarily being unspiritual. There is a sadness which is simply self-indulgence and self-pity. That is unspiritual. But there is an appropriate sadness at an appropriate moment that is a reflection of reality. A sad face can be, says Solomon, good for the heart. Let me give you an example of how facing pain leads to healing. My father, some years ago now, he's now in his uh, late 80s, but some years ago uh, had lost all the cartilage in his knees. They had essentially worn out. The doctor said, no problem, Mr. Stroud. We can give you new knee joints. He said, there's just one problem. He said, it is painful and the healing process does take some time. And I remember going to visit my father a week after the operation. Now, without getting too detailed for those of us that are squeamish in the audience, of which I would, congregation, of which I would count myself one, apparently what you do is you open up the knee joint, you remove all the broken cartilage, and then you put in a new knee joint, which is a mixture of porcelain and metal. On going to see my father a week later, it wasn't just his knee that was bruised, but his whole leg was a bloated and multiple different hues of red and, uh, and, and, and other colours. I will stop there. I can see that for some of you, you are. Uh, and I remember as I helped him up the stairs at one point in time, I said to him, Dad, is this really worth it? Because he had a second need to go. They were doing them sequentially. He said, David, I can already walk easier and with less pain than I could before. I thought, extraordinary. Well, our bodies mend emotionally in the same way that they do physically. Sometimes, if you want to lose physical pain, you have to have more pain to get no pain. We are wired emotionally in just the same way. Sometimes to come out the other side, as we'll see in this psalm, and there is, the good news is there is another side. The way that we come out of that is by going through it. There is, brothers and sisters, no other way. There is no other way to emotional health 
than by going through it. So David faced his loss. Now what happens if we don't go through this first step? What happens if we don't go through it? Well, church leader Rick Warren lost his son a few years ago, and here's what he said. He said, when I swallow my emotions, my stomach keeps score. If I don't talk it out to my wife, to God, to friends, then I'm going to take it out on my body. In other words, unexpressed emotions can numb us into not feeling. It can create ill health, depression, anger, bitterness, resentment, and a sense that God is very distant. On other occasions, it leads to a desire for something to make us feel good quickly, buying things we don't need, drinking more than we know is good for us, or looking at things online that we know are ultimately destructive rather than pleasurable. It also can take a toll, if we don't process, it can take a toll on our relationships. Here we say it's crucial. Relationships is what life is all about. First of all, our relationship with God. Secondly, our relationships with one another. A counsellor and psychologist I know told me this story of a couple who'd been married for 53 years. On their golden wedding anniversary, after 50 years, as they were celebrating this, they realized that they would not continue to have the joy of being together forever. And they started to, and neither of them wanted to be the one left behind. So they started to become overwhelmed by the sadness to come. They started arguing about who would go first. They didn't tell anyone else what they were feeling, but they became locked in a cycle of grief and carried it like a secret burden. Eventually, they started living in separate parts of the house and seeking a divorce. It was at this point that they met George. He said that all he had to do, or what he had to do, was help them face their pain. They accepted their, the, the fact that they would not be with one another forever and expressed the pain of that reality. And as a result, their relationship came back to life. They started to connect deeply again. They shared the whole house together rather than dividing it in two. And life and every additional day of their marriage became a gift rather than a source of pain. Unexpressed pain affects us in multiple different ways. We've got a number of trained counsellors across the Christchurch London services. And as I was preparing this talk, I actually wrote to one of them and said, um, what should I say from a clinical perspective as well as from a biblical perspective. Here's the answer that I got. Sadly, this uh, professional wrote, there's a misconception that leaders and others in our church have got it all together. That is a misconception. And, not, and that any expression or season of loss or grief could be a sign of weakness or a lack of faith. Vulnerability is not weakness. It takes a huge amount of courage to ask for help or show our real selves in every season of life. I agree. So as we read the whole psalm, it shows us that David faced the reality. The second that he did was he actually expressed how he was feeling. And we see it several times in the psalm. In verse 3, he just puts it 
pretty bluntly. He says, my soul, that inner part of who we are, is in anguish. Whatever the precise feelings, he then expresses them. He says, I'm worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping. Isn't it vivid? I drench my couch with tears. His poor sofa needs renewing as a result of this. Not only that, but his eyes literally hurt because of his weeping. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. One friend of ours tragically lost his wife in a car accident some years ago now. And in the aftermath, someone described him as doing really well at doing very badly. And I knew exactly what they meant. That Dan was facing the reality and expressing it. In fact, he came and he lived with us for six months. And uh, it gave us, we'll get back to the importance of community, but it gave us an opportunity to, to ha- for us to be there when he needed to talk. And the, one of the funny things with the sense of loss is you never know when it's going to strike. Rick Warren, back to Rick Warren, the famous pastor, many of you will know of him at least, he said of his son's passing, he said, I've cried every day since Matthew died. And that actually helps us to move on in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. To grieve as a Christian doesn't mean uh, that we're letting the side down. There's also songs, there's time for songs of victory and triumph. And the reality is we can sing songs of victory whilst we're grieving. But it's a matter of recognizing the reality of both. David then goes on. So he expresses, he acknowledges his loss. He expresses the detail, if you like, of how he's feeling. My encouragement to any of you and lessons I've learned in the counseling room of pastoral life over the years is name the feelings. Name the feelings. And they, as we've said before, they either need to pass your tongue or your fingertips. You either need to speak it out or write it down. He then asks God for healing. And in this psalm, David prays three prayers, which I think are wonderfully helpful. The first one in verse 2 is this, Be merciful to me, O Lord. When you're in grief, you so often feel that way. I just need someone, particularly God, to be merciful to me. And we must remember, of course, as we pray that Jesus has experienced great loss. Jesus experienced loss of friends, loss of freedom, loss of dignity, even for a while the loss of relationship with his father. Or at least that's how it felt. Where, oh God, are you? Why have you forsaken me? He was stripped of everything. There is no loss that we can go through that Jesus has not already experienced. And therefore, he is able to give us mercy. He is able to, as leads to the second prayer that David prays, O Lord, heal me. He takes my pain. This is one of the things that happened on the cross. He took the pain, not just of the world, cosmos, not just of every generation that's ever lived, but of you and of me personally. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every experience of pain. And the truth is we can't receive anything else while we still have the experience of the old in our hands. As I release my pain to him, I can therefore receive new things as a result. 
And the third prayer, this is one of my prayers that I pray most often. How long, O Lord? Living in the gap between full redemption, between the now and the not yet, where I am right now and my full redemption, is one of the most challenging things for Christians. And it's important to do it without allowing our hearts to get sick in the process. Coping with loss often takes longer than we would expect, but we can be confident that God will never allow it to last longer than you can cope with. I know he leaves things longer than you would like. I know he leaves things longer than you think you can cope with. He will never leave you beyond the place where you can cope, and he will always give you grace for it. So this was the internal work that David did. He faced his loss, he expressed his pain, and he prayed to God for grace. The other important, or one of two other important things that he did was he grieved with others. In 2 Samuel, we find that David is not just by himself. He writes this psalm personally before God as you or I might journal our prayers. Let me read you this verse from 2 Samuel chapter 15. It says that David continued up the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem is just in the background for those of you that have been as he's walking up, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot and all the people with him covered their heads too and they were weeping as they went. Brothers and sisters, grief and the sense of loss is meant to be done in community. And that's the wonderful thing about the church. And I trust it's the wonderful thing about this community is that we're able to provide this for one another. Sometimes it's simply that we just need the company. As I mentioned earlier, this young man that Philip and I had to come and live with our family uh, years ago now. Sometimes he said it was so that he could speak. Other times it was simply so that he didn't have to come back to an empty flat or so that he just knew there was someone else around. I appreciate that. It's not always as straightforward as that, particularly here where property prices make things so complicated. But nonetheless, we must do this. We should do this in community. We should also do this in community because there are particularly hard moments which we shouldn't have to go through by ourselves. There's times where there's legal processes to sort out. Sorting out of a loved one's possessions other times. And then, of course, there's other times where we just need to talk things out to get their head straight. Anyone else ever experienced this? I will often say, uh, either to Philippa or to uh, Andy and Joel, other members of the Christchurch team, can I just talk? I just need to talk to work out what I think or to work out what I feel. And that is where we're able to serve one another as well. And so we do this out of a sense of community. But, of course, just to say... We shouldn't wait for a sense of loss before finding community. Just so you know, no one else is looking for people who are really hurting to be friends with. But they will want to care for those who are they are friends when they're hurting. You understand, I'm not trying to be cruel there, but you understand what I'm saying. So let's press into one another now. Let's find one another now so that we can be a support for one another when we need to be. And finally... And here's the best bit. David anticipated the opportunity of new things. The other side of grief, when we go through it properly and loss, there's always an opportunity for new things. 
When Jesus lost everything, it was actually only three days before the resurrection. It was 40 days before we return to the Father and to be in glory. And there's always a process to go through. I want to encourage all of us that whatever the loss that we've experienced, there's always a new story, a new opportunity. There's always resurrection on the other side. What is the resurrection that God wants to bring in your life as a result of the loss that you've experienced? We can hear David's confidence returning towards the end of this psalm. Verse 8, away from me, he says, all you who do evil. He's no longer the victim. He's no longer being overwhelmed by them. For the Lord has heard my weeping. You hear the triumph. God has heard my grief. God has heard my prayer. God has heard my tears. And now hope is coming back. And then it grows in verse 10. He says, everyone who's against me will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Ultimately, there is always the promise of resurrection. Shortly after the start of Christ Church London, a young lawyer, his name was Tom App Reese Price, was attacked on the way home from the tube. And for the loss of a mobile phone, his Oyster card, remember those? And 20 pounds in cash, he lost his life. And alongside his inert body were papers which had obviously been working on on the tube for his plans for his wedding next year. Of course, it led for a dark period, both for Tom's fiance, but also for Tom's parents. Parents are Christians. And they went through the sort of process that we've looked at today. Here's what Tom's father said some way through that grieving process. He said, there's no sense in wallowing in our grief. So instead, we decided to set about trying to stop this happening to other people's sons. Rick Warren, to mention him again, actually put it like this. He said, your greatest life calling will come from your greatest sense of loss. Your greatest life calling will come from your greatest sense of loss. Tom's parents went to the school that their son's attackers had been at. And they discussed with the headmaster starting a charity to make a difference for troubled teenagers, including a £100,000 investment in the school in Wandsworth, where the pupils studied who had taken their son's life. This is how the headmaster headmaster described the meeting with Tom's parents. He said, they came up to my room and they asked me about their son's attackers. As soon as I started talking about him, they started crying. I remember going to the pub that evening and telling friends that I'd met the most unbelievable people in the world. You just don't think the world deserves people like that. They have shown extraordinary redemption and forgiveness. Tom's parents found a new mission, and the charity they formed has now raised and given away over two million pounds to be part of the answer for where they have suffered. But I want to suggest that they wouldn't have got to that point if they'd not taken the lessons from this psalm properly. We've lost our son. This is how it feels. God, will you heal us? Taking that time and then looking for the resurrection that comes on the other side. And I want to suggest, at a time where so many people question faith, 
that this is one of the most powerful apologetics out there for Christians to lead what we've sometimes described as inexplicable lives. How is it that they do that? The answer, (laughs) nothing to do with me, but if you've seen the grace that God has given me, then it calls me to handle difficulty and pain and allow redemption and grace to flood to others as well. I wonder whether the band could come back, please, and let's stand together. I want to pray and I want to ask for God's grace upon each of us. Of course, for some of us, what I've said today will be immediately relevant. For others of us, it's more the sort of thing we have to store away. But we know that it comes to each of us. Uh, Josh and Tash, with the yellow lanyards, uh, will be, where will you be? They're pointing just on this side afterwards. So if you would like to receive prayer, they would be delighted uh, to do so. And uh, we don't have to be limited to two people uh, either. There's others here of us who'd be delighted to pray as well. But I'd like to pray. I'd like to ask for God's grace, his presence, that we would take what is important for us today uh, from what this psalm teaches us. And uh, then Natalie and the team will lead us again in worship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and goodness to us. We thank you that there's an always a way through uh, whatever difficulties and tragedies and loss we face. And we pray that you would teach us to do that, that we would develop emotional strength, that where we're, va- where we're fragile and vulnerable, that you would strengthen us. The image that comes to mind as I'm praying is that of someone who's on crutches. They've only got one leg working, physical leg working. But it may well be that you feel like that emotionally this morning. There's only one, you're hopping along in life. You can't run. You can't do the dexterous things. And I want to pray that the Lord would bring healing for you. And I want to encourage you to think about uh, receiving prayer this morning. Lord, we pray for those of us that feel we're on one leg this morning. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us. Put your finger on whatever the next step is for us. We realize this isn't about instant change, but this is, as, this is about pathways that lead to hope and new life. And I want to pray that you would clarify that for each of us, for each of my brothers and sisters this morning. That we may choose at crossroads good paths that lead to good things and resurrection life. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. We pray it all thanking you for your goodness. Amen.